today is our sex coach and sex coaching education uh, event. We're talking about mental health, parents and family who have adult children who suffer or are suffering from mental illness. And I wanted to bring this awareness because I myself have an adult child. I have a son, 35, who has a mental illness. And uh, he was diagnosed in college his first year, year and a half, and he had to take a medical leave of absence. So over these last 16 years, I have been dealing with finding him help and dealing with this whole thing, ideal of consent. And this last time, um, it was really frustrating when the psychiatrist did a 5150, but the pet team, when they came to the emergency the next day, they didn't honor the 5150. And I thought, man, what, I mean, what a, I don't even know what the word disgrace, dishonor, whatever. I just felt like he was on his way to get help. And the right. pet team said no. And I'm like, how is the pet team having more power sense. over the right. psychologist who put him on a 5150? Yep. And they, they dismissed him without medication, without a follow-up appointment to the doctor, without any real resources. The resources they gave me was for San Bernardino County. We live in LA County. How is that helping? It was just such a mix up. It was just such a farce. And so I gathered you guys, my friends, colleagues, peers together, asking you to come on and share with me your thoughts, your experiences, uh, even if you have resources, like just really let's put it out there for the audience to understand what it is to be a family member who has a loved one that go through these mental issues and how how can we help how can we build community around it but first let me just have you guys introduce yourself let's start with dexter then we'll go with um miss denise davison and then we'll come on to you lisa benny so let's do that tell people who you are where you're from what you do and then we'll after that we'll start our discussion my name is dexter smiles i'm a professional stand-up comedian and also a licensed uh loan officer um, I'm originally from Shreveport, Louisiana, by way of Orange County, uh, city of Santa Ana. Uh, Able 12 black folks out here. Uh, I'll be leaving a little later, so it'll be 11. And uh, I have a child, an adult child, that uh, suffers from mental illness. That's the extent of me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I am Denise Davidson. And mm-hmm. I am working with um, yeah. um, who is an amazing um, community resource and just an amazing human being. So I want to say thank you for allowing me to serve in this way. Um, mm-hmm. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm okay. a yoga instructor for over 20 years. I'm a master's. Mm-hmm. 
trainer. I train life coaches to work with individuals to prevent chronic disease, such as diabetes and heart disease. So um, working with the community in that way. I'm also a mindfulness educator. I work in a school helping educators to use mindfulness in their classroom. I have a community mental health clinic where I have interns that go out into the community to provide support in a more holistic way. So we use sound, we use breathing, we use color, we use whatever it takes to bring okay. to not feel stigmatized and to feel um, that shame that comes with, um, I'll say, emotional wellness because it's such a stigma in our community and most communities. So yes. I have two adult sons that I think are undiagnosed, one that experiences alcoholism and the other one that experiences um, extreme creativity, which is not a bad thing, but just channeling it in. But I feel that they're un both undiagnosed. And I um, also experience high levels of anxiety that um, I use many modes and tools and I'm supporting a beloved mom that has experienced um, emotional imbalance um, over the years. So I have personal experience and then within the community, I've been in the community over 40 years working with community um, to help heal our hearts and minds. Amen. Awesome. Thank you for that. And yes, and I'm working with Ms. Denise Davidson under my other head of marriage and family therapist. I am on her team of Village Mindful Wellness, and I see clients in terms of therapy, collecting my hours for my licensure as I finish up my dissertation for my doctorate's degree. So, yes, uh, me and Denise been knowing each other for years, and I'm so appreciative that you are here with me today. I really appreciate it. All right, Miss Finney. Hello. Um, um, my name is Alicia Finney. I'm from California. Pomona, California. I've known Felicia um, through our Bible school. Children. <laughs> yes, I have three. I have three grown children. Um, 39, no, 38, 35, and 33. <laughs> yeah. um, I have my middle son is diagnosed, has been diagnosed with uh, paranoid schizophrenia. And um, knowing Felicia, I'm a homemaker, you know, um, retired, if you could say. And um, I'm just passionate about this particular subject. Um, we are privy to mental health. I have different family members as well that suffer from um, schizophrenia, bipolar, etc. So I've always been interested in mental health and getting the help that's needed um and that's who i am <laughs> well i'm glad you're here yes lisa and i know each other through metaphysics uh we over 35 years our children like she said her middle son they played together and yeah. we wouldn't imagine that we would be here today dealing with both of our children having been diagnosed with schizophrenia and um yeah, so I'm so glad that you are here with us today. And um, so, yeah, let me just tell you a little bit about my story and then you guys can jump in and tell me like some of your experiences. So I had found my son in his room. Uh, I heard some noise and I didn't know what it was. It was some weird noise. I thought it was like an owl, an owl at first, like that, hoo, hoo, like a hooing sound. 
And I was like, an owl? Like, what is that? So it kept bothering me. And I said, let me go up and check in his room. And I knocked and I opened the door because by the time I got to his door, you know, that intuition was like, open the door. <laughs> like, just yeah. go in. So I just opened the door. He's passed out, sweating profusely, and got this little shallow breath going on, like he's gasping for air. And I go over to him, try to wake him up, and couldn't wake him up. And when he did open, his eyes was rolling in his head, and I immediately called 911. And they, the paramedics came. By the time they got there, he did respond. He said my name, but he was still kind of out of it. And I didn't know what happened. I didn't, you know, I was thinking it was something with drugs, you know, because they self-medicate. People with mental illness self-medicate. And so, and so I didn't know what it was, what he could have taken. Uh, they were thinking it was that fentanyl, you know, how that stuff do. It really suppresses the breathing. But anyway, he gets him over to emergency, take care of him. He's fine. It wasn't fentanyl. He did have some amphetamine in his body. But they decided to do a psyche valve because they saw he was all over the place in his thinking. So they called the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist did his evaluation. As a result, did the 5150. I was like, oh, my God, this might be the intervention that I've been looking for. Oh, my God. Like, he's really going to get help this this time. Not like right. I haven't been before, but like almost right. thank goodness this thing happened. So this thing could get taken care of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was going well. Um he wasn't in, you know, he wasn't consenting in his state. You know, he wasn't given consent. Um, so the doctor did his assessment, the psychiatrist, and decided to do a 5150. After that, uh, we had to wait the, the next day because it was in the evening. We had to wait for the pet team. And this is what really got me, the conversation that I had with the gentleman who came out from the pet team. Mm-hmm. His conversation to me was, your child uh, is an adult. He is not consenting. Can everybody and- hear me? Yes. yes. Yeah, you kind of, yeah, I heard you, you then. Yeah, we can hear you. Are you like going in and out? Okay. You want to say something again? Every- yeah. We lost, I lost everybody. The photos had gone, so I can hear you okay. now. See there. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad every, my internet is spotty too. I hope we can make it through. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so his conversation was he's, he's uh, an adult, he's not consenting, and you know, keeping him on a 5150 is not going to help anyway if he's not consenting. And I said, I said, you know, how is it that you get to take him off when the psychiatrist put him on one? And that was his reason. And then the conversation got a little deeper and he said, you know, you guys, you as parents want to complain about the system, but you are an enabler. And I said, well, how am I an enabler? He said, well, you let your son 
come in the house, do whatever he wants to do. Now, after this one incident, he just think, I just let my son come in the house, do what he wants to do, and I don't do anything to try, like, put him out to, you know, because I'm not, you know, I'm rewarding his bad behaviors. And I told him, you know, I said, no, I'm not rewarding his bad behavior. I said, I have rules in my house. And I said, I did not know at this point that he was doing those kind of drugs in my house. I said, but from here on out, he won't be doing those drugs in my house. I said, but you mean to tell me my only other alternative is to put my son out, let him be homeless or go out there and harm somebody or die himself. He said, well, unfortunately, that is true. He said, unfortunately, wow. yeah, he would, you know, maybe being homeless and teach him a lesson. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. death is the end, end result. I couldn't believe it. I mean, he was like saying, that's it. If he don't come to his senses to consent, then, yeah, I might be possibly looking at my adult son, you know, hurting others, hurting himself and being killed or kill himself. I couldn't yeah. set right with me. And I just it had doesn't. to talk about it because right. why is it that is, you know, they talk about stigma on the health, you know, people getting help. But I think people who treat people with mental health have stigmas and yeah. they have an idea or a bias towards people who have mental illness, because I don't understand how do you think a person who has a mental ill can, actually give consent when will they ever be able to do that so with They're that being said can you guys like you know really help me out to understand like what is a parent to do and and felicia we talked about this it's a broke system so i think <laughs> us you know coming together with other um like minds and sharing resources and getting support because that was a totally unacceptable way to respond to you. I mean, right. you're in crisis your son at that point, and for that to be a response was totally unacceptable. And we know totally. that there's a lot of cultural biases that happen, even if we look the same, that's still, that's right. still happening. But for him yeah. to, assume, to allow this behavior and for him to assume that without really consoling you, because that's what you needed, you know, to, to console you and to support you through this, but we know the system is broken. A lot of people that are working in the system are hurt. Right. <laughs> Ill. Yeah. Hurt people, hurt people. I just felt like, I mean, if it, if he had an ounce of compassion or empathy, like even if he had a child or a relative or something, right. you know, you're going to say this to a person like, unfortunately, that like that's what you have to look forward to. It's, I couldn't believe it. And unfortunately, that's, that's the protocol. That's what you get. Yeah, she has a daughter who was diagnosed when she was in college. Hers was drug-induced. So she had to go to school and get her picked up. And since then, she basically had to sort of form a partnership with the police because her daughter is about 6'2", you know, 150 pounds. She played rugby. And, uh -huh. and she was afraid that the police would end up killing her. Because, exactly. you know, she wasn't diagnosed and then she would have an episode. So she had to literally go to the police station and you know, make, get a whole- Make them aware. And to say, this is my daughter, this is what's going on. So they would know because she was- I did the same thing with Pomona police officer here. They know I like, he has a mental illness. Like, please, when you see him, you Don't know, 
Right. Yeah. You have to. That's that's the first piece is to advocate to get all of the supposedly um, peace officers um, involved, so that you know how to 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 handle. Um, but since then, she's been really um, supported because um, her daughter had been um, to jail, and she was in a program. She got out of the program, and then she was she has housing, so she did get result because she was put in a program in jail that, that dealt with the, the person's mental health issue. So she was in the, in that program. So that was, you know, jail is not a good thing, but it was a good thing because she was able right. to that. And then in turn, housing, because she got a lot of resources. But why does awesome. that that to her going to jail? Why, yeah, to get a jail. Why take going to jail? To get to help. Get, but she wasn't exactly. just having manic episodes and you know, in the street, in this place, and you know, her just trying to, her doing what she was doing to try to help her daughter. So, um, wow. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead, Miss Lisa. Mm -hmm. I believe you do have to become, uh, you have to engage yourself with all programs. And like with when it first happened to my son, I was clueless. You know, I'm going to be honest about. It was too close to see that it would happen. But once it happened, I was so terrified. And um, he tried to set himself on fire. Because wow. it was getting too. But the, prior to that, I called the police. And because his uh, ramblings were becoming aggravated, if I can say. And I kind of felt nervous. So the police yeah. came. And they basically said, he's on meth. Now, at this time, and I'm not saying he didn't use meth. Mm -hmm. At this time, he was with me, constant supervision. Mm -hmm. I knew he w hadn't did any drugs. And I was trying to tell the officer, you know, he hasn't been anywhere for over, well over three weeks. I've been here, and he's been having this behavior because he talked really loud and just walked and um, rambled on, like the voices, I guess. And so they wouldn't help me. They said, if he's not harming you or yeah. someone else, there's nothing we can do. But he argued with me that he was on drugs. Mm -hmm. So anyway, past that, once he, he got tired, it took about six grueling months. I was blessed, I'm going to say. Uh, he decided, like he said, I just want to kill myself. And that was my trigger. I called, you know, I called the police and mm -hmm. he didn't back up for once because we tried to take him several times. He's jumped out the car. You know, they just don't want to go to the hospital this mm -hmm. particular time. He did. But my point being is I got in the doctor's space. I got in. I asked for um, mental health technicians in programs. and. I caught the bus. I didn't have a car. I talked to the mental health people. Like, give me some stuff. And I was fortunate enough. He wouldn't join the program, which he needed to do. But I got a program to where he was diagnosed. He was able to get out and get the treatment that he needed. And when anybody did something that I didn't like, I was right up in their face and take me to your supervisor or, you know, that's my point. You got to search out 
um, you're, you got to search your problem out, but it has yep. to be physical and in their face and let them know, look, I'm a woman trying to raise this, you know, son to be a productive citizen. You know, like that's the problem I'm having now, even though he's been diagnosed, taking his medication, I need him to go to the next level uh, with socializing and being comfortable being in society. He doesn't, nine out of 10 don't want to. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're just like, because of the COVID, uh, we don't have those types of, you know, just make him do this and make him, do. you can't make nobody do nothing. If you join and, you know, there's help out there, I'm going to find it. And you just have to dig and search. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the deal. After the hospitalization, we went over to Tri-City, right, and signed up. They said, okay, we're going to give you a call within 24 hours. You know, his next appointment date is in July, July 22nd. So I'm like, where, what? Yeah. What can happen between now and July 22nd? It's like, where is the immediate help? Right. So, you know, we lost some time when he was in a state of mind to consent um, and he had the medication in him from the hospital. Uh, by the time I found out about the behavioral center, that's 24-7, Okay. You know, now he's back in his ways of don't want to go, don't want to consent, can't make right. him go. So, needless to say, my son is out on the street. He, because he chose, not that I put him out, he chose to go because he don't want to consent. You know, well, that's where we need to figure out how to either make a bill or something because legislate. Yeah, they're overwhelmed in the streets with these children yeah. that have. Uh, mental illness and uh, hurting people and homelessness. They want to they want to get rid of the homelessness, but you gotta treat the mental health first. You know. Yep. And Felicia, I just want to mention for those that may be watching that don't know what fifty one fifty is. Yes, please. Because that's basically when um, they decide that that person needs to be hospitalized. And right. For a certain amount of time. The 5150 is a 72-hour hold, and there are some other codes that are longer holds than that, that that a psychiatrist or a person who is licensed to put people on hold can choose to use Back if they will. Yes. 50, and then they disregarded it. It's, it's really, that I had heard before. So that that is just, that blows my mind. That he right. 5150, he would have gotten help because exactly. he would I think because so many facilities are overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, overbooked. They probably overwhelmed, didn't overbooked. Get yeah. Okay. I guess I'm the lucky one here. Um, my son DJ. He um, he's in a facility and he's been in there for six and a half months. Okay. And they just started. Yeah, they just let, started. Let me see him like uh, about thirty, about sixty days ago. Thank you, God. Thank you. Mm-hmm. He's stabilized. Uh, I had to have a heart procedure earlier this year. And I had told him before that, I got to hurry up and get you out of here. You got to do right, man. I'm going to need you to take care of me. Do you know the day, the next day that I got out, he was the first person to call me? Uh-huh. Dad, how did your procedure go? Uh-huh. I learned one thing. Once they're stabilized, 
Yes. We have to give them an agenda. Yeah, they okay. have to know that they're responsible to do something. Okay, I noticed that. And uh, he's right. in a place, he was in a place called College Hospital. Okay. It's a mental health uh, institution. They have one in Costa Mesa. This is his second time going. Okay. And uh, some big uh, white boy with tattoos on his knuckles. Okay. Bald head, about 6'3", 280 pounds. Wow. Hit my son and cut him across his eye. He had to have stitches. Mm. Wow! Most of these white kids, their shit is done through their drug abuse. Now they right. want to say they're mentally insane. No, you weren't insane before you started doing those drugs. Because, see, I went to school with them right. here in Orange County. Okay. I went from a black high school to a, I was number 14 black kid. Right. And the first seven days I seen, I noticed how white folks let their kids do anything. Right. They had a place for 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids to smoke cigarettes on campus right. in 1980. Wow. They had, in that same first seven days, I saw for the first time in my life cocaine and acid. Oh, yeah. Wow. They had a drug bus five months later. Two teachers were involved. But they want to call the black school I went to, who's never had a drug problem. Right. The bad school. Right. And, right. you know, out here, the difference is in Orange County from L.A. County, where you guys are, it's white folks. So they care about their mental health because they have their kids on drugs. And now they call it mental health. So okay. they'll make facilities for it. My son just happened to be here. Okay. In this county. That's right. why he's able to get the help. And he's stabilized, and you talk to him now. He calls me two or three times a week. I go see him. Okay. He told me, he says, Dad, I'm ready to get out. And so I do stuff like I have to take medication. I go visit right. him. Now they allow me to visit him. I go right. visit him, and uh, he, I'll take my medication. I say, yeah, we all got to take our medication. I take mine right there in front of him. Give me some of that water over there, man. Right. Give me water, I take it. I said, see, I got to take my medicine, too. Right. I don't like it, but I know it makes me better. Right. And that's how I try to talk to him and show him. The mm -hmm. first time he ever went, he the voices were telling him that somebody in the house was coming to harm him. So he took right. all the knives and threw them in the swimming pool out back in the backyard. Okay. Called police. And they came over, and he was walking back in the house with one of the knives in his hand. Hmm. You know, the oh, white police, okay. they went straight for their guns. Right. Not the taser. They went straight for the gun. So they they took him. The one cop said, oh, I know him. Thank God. Because the other one, there was three. The biggest one of them all said, I hate calls like this. These calls hurt. I don't like calls like this. I said, he needs more training. He need more training. Right. Right. So that particular time they got my son, this is the first time, got him on his medication, stabilized him. Mm -hmm. They okay. took him from the, the higher level facility. Once they got him stabilized to a lower level, 
when they got he him does. to the lower level, he was there for three weeks. Then they start letting him go out for an hour or two in the area right by the facility, and they had to come back in hour or two. They do this, do this, and he finally got out. So he gets out about two weeks later. He stabilized. He goes and gets a job at Taco Bell. I'm like, cool. It's working. He got something to do to keep his mind moving. Right. He's not sitting there letting that devil kill his mind. So he says, okay. He saves his money, goes, buys a car, and negotiates the loan thing by himself. Nobody. Right. They're intelligent. Yes. Then from there, he says, I need more money. He goes and starts Ubering while he's still working at Taco Bell. Mm -hmm. Then he says, I need even more money than that. Okay. He goes to UEI, becomes mm -hmm. a HVAC tech, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Okay. Graduates with honors. Walks across the stage. He gets a job. First place okay. he went to, they hired him. Okay. They started him off 16 bucks an hour. He, no more Taco Bell, no more Ubering. But by the way, he was Ubering and Taco Bell while he was going to school. Yes. Yeah. Had him on his medication, doing what he's supposed to do. Right. Gets the job, doing his thing. He's working. He's there for over a year. The psychiatrist says, uh -uh. do you want me uh -uh. to take you off of your medication? Oh, no. In two months, you guys. <laughs> lost his job. Lost his car. Two months after that, he walks away from his mother's house. We did not see him for 26 months. Oh. We didn't know where he was. He lives in Mission If you know where Mission Viejo, California is. Yeah. South Orange County. Some 70-something miles away, he's living in a tent next to a creek in Culver City. Mm. This brother named Paris sees him homeless by Ralph's in that parking lot, the Denny's, all kind of little food places, everything. He says, I stopped to talk to him because it's very odd to see a homeless black man in Culver City around all the white folks. And so when he told us that, we said, hold on. He thinks he's normal because he grew up in white Mission Viejo. He don't think he looks like a, a sore uh, thumb sticking out because right. he grew up around where it was 13, 14 black kids at his high school. Right. You know, so he doesn't um, think he's off. And he said, the one thing I could say about him is he never asked me for money. He always asked me for food. That lets me know he's not on drugs. Because right. if you're on drugs, you ask for money. Yep. When you when you mental, it's just, I know I got to eat. And that's all he would do. He would get food, go back over there, sleep by the uh, the thing. So the guy saw him and he took him one day to his house. Paris did. He washed his clothes. He has a back house. He said, take a shower back there. He said, because, you know, he was a little rank. I said, I'm quite sure. And he <laughs> showered up, cleaned up, gave him a toothbrush, all that. And he brought him in the house and he tricked him. He said, hey, do you have Facebook? He said, yeah. 
<laughs> Let me see. I don't believe you. Do you, uh, where's your dad? He pulled me up. We got the same name. You have brother, sister, all that. So let me tell you how excited I was. The next day, the guy called us. He didn't want to do it in front of him. He called me. You know, he, he hit me on Facebook Messenger. He says, I got some information about your son, Dexter. I'm like, what's your call? He says, call me. So I, I'm calling him. And I wrote down his number. And I said, where's my phone? And my phone is in my hand. And I'm, I mean, I'm about to have an anxiety attack. Right. I'm, I'm, and the first thing I ask him, is he okay? Right. And he said, yes. And I just started crying. Right. Right. So I called his mom. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm watch. I called his mom. And said, uh, give me a call back. I wanted to tell her instead of texting it. She said, I'm on the phone, busy right now. I said, I text back, I said, it's some information about DJ. You know, the heifer called me in 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and so I um after I did my thing, I um let me see, I did that. And we both got on the phone with him. He told us he's safe. He told us where he was. I said, I know exactly where that is. I don't need, I told his mom, I'll give you the address. Don't worry, I'll get you there. Right. So I said it himself, his two sisters, my youngest son, his mother, and my best friend as a pastor. We all went up there. He wouldn't leave with us. We bought him clothes, water, everything he wanted. The yes. next uh, week, his mm. mother and sisters went to go see him. The next week, I went to go see him. And I called my youngest brother, and I told him, I said, hey, I found DJ. He said, where are you at? I'm on my way. Now, my brother was, was, was when he was a little boy, a little kid, my brother and him were buddies. That's Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob. Uncle, oh, I love my Uncle Bob. Okay. Uncle Bob came over there. He said, he looked at it and they both got goofy. They okay. both goofy. They, you know, my brother's a, the youngest of all the brothers. And th that was his babysitter, his little buddy. He treated okay. him like I treated him like he was the, his little brother. Okay. And my, bro my brother said, he said, DJ, go get your clothes. We getting ready to go. Do you know my son? He wouldn't leave with his mama, wouldn't leave with me. My brother say about face, go. He turned around, got all that stuff, put it in my car. We went and washed it and cleaned it up. I took him to his mom's. And then he got in a, uh, he came in the house. This is when he's not on medicine. He gonna walk in the house, grown man with just a jacket on, no drawers, no nothing, cooking <laughs> bacon. So his mother's uh, new husband, Got you know they got into it you know you don't disrespect the house, and they yeah. got into it and so they called the police, and that's how he ended up at College Hospital, because okay. like they say, if you harm yourself or others, right? You, that's that's the whole time in my life, I wanted my son to ever be in a fight, so right. he had to get the help. 
Right. And right. Lady Agility Stable. And I'm glad you brought up that point because yeah. right now, because I know my son had got some sort of ticket, and I know yeah. if he don't show up for court, the next thing is going to be a warrant out for his arrest. And yeah. I think like, that's the only way he going to get saved because, yeah. like you said, um, Denise, that going to jail, may he may get put in the program. Yes. From the program, he can get help, you know, because yeah. they have record on my son because he had a misdemeanor yeah. before. And he was put in the program, but after about six months, he was doing well. After about six months, he called me in. We had a meeting with the staff. And like you say, Lisa, be up in people's face. I was communicated. We held meetings for him. And we did this while he was in this facility in L.A. And he wanted to leave the program. He didn't want to be in the program anymore. I remember told us that he was gonna leave and i was trying to convince him to stay and it was right before covid that he was out on the streets in la because he walked away i was still there i was there there in the building when he walked away and i had to leave i had to drive off come all the way back home and don't know where my son went to and just Mm. wait and sit patiently and pray to find out if anybody would call me to let me know he was okay about that was about the end of 2019 going into the new year of 2020 around february the first week of february when covid was just breaking out he Mm -hmm. called me and he said mom i want to come home and i drove out to la where he was i made Oh, all that crap away that he have, because you know he rank and dirty and everything. Right. And he ain't bringing none of that stuff. COVID is right. real, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you throw this stuff away. When we get to the door, you're gonna take off your clothes, go straight to the shower. You know, protect to, to protect me. You know, right. whatever he might be carrying. Brought him exactly. back home, and then we was starting the process all over again of, you know, finding a way to try to find help you know and so um you know your everyone's story has been very uh edifying and helpful and i'm glad you all was vulnerable enough to share but now i want to just shift for the last few minutes to talk about what is needed through our uh experience what do we see that is needed through our experience to help because here is one I'm gonna throw out. I think at the time when a psychiatrist mm-hmm. gives a 5150, so with that 72 hour hold, I think that every 24 hours they should check in until that 72 hour hold is over. Every every 24 hours, the care facility should check in to see if that person is ready to give consent. What I mean, if they still see the person is still having that brain haven't calmed down, they still delusional, they still can't hold a good conversation, their brain is all over the place, mm-hmm. keep the 5150 and keep giving them the medication because that medication needs time to work. It does. So, so, three then weeks. The, so then the next 24 hours, check again because I noticed with my son, 
after a while, that brain starts to calm down. So yeah. if you have a 72-hour hold and you hold it, about time you there get you to that third day, maybe yeah. at that third day when you do another assessment, the brain might be ready to consent if you need to need a consent to go further with treatment. Yep. Honor the 72-hour hold. That's the start. Just make sure you honor it. And as you honor it, do these evaluations so right. that you can document and keep record of what is right. really happening with the patient so that you can strategically move forward. Because I felt like if they would have just honored it and held them for a, a, you know, a few more days, yeah. I think time not only even if he even if he rejected the consent oh. he would have been calmed down enough for me as his parent to get him in a program yeah to, follow up to escort him to the behavioral right. health center for them right. to, to assess him and give yeah. him some medication he would have been that calm he would right. have been in a different state of mind I can but because they didn't honor it, his brain was still too hot and he wasn't at the level of consent. So that's what I think that yeah. some, some rules or some laws or some, some reform or whatever we want to call it, policies, procedures, right. should be right. implemented at that right. juncture. Because I, I believe there's something that could be done that set us up as the family members to be able to handle our adult children a little bit better to yeah. help guide them to help. So what do you guys think and what's going on, you know, with your experiences where you feel there's a gap in the system? Dexter, can you mute yourself? Okay, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can hear you. We can hear you. Conservatorship process, and have you ever looked at or considered that so when he is stable, you can get that done so then when he's not, you would basically have um, autonomy over what, what can be done. You can make And you're talking things. about conservatorship? Yeah. Yeah, that, that involves lawyers. It's a whole big old process. If they don't and that's another thing. If they don't feel that your case is worthy, and, that, and that's the thing, I really would have to research it out. I would have to get the lawyers that understand that. And that's a whole process in itself. So As a I know that. Mm -hmm. I've just done a workshop before, so I, I don't know. And I know the, the sister that I was talking about whose daughter went to, to jail, she um, was in the process of doing it. I don't know if she needed it because she went to jail and then she ended up getting in the program and you know, so it got okay. So, because other than that, it's not anything that that you can do that's gonna bind what override what he what he says, whatever. Exactly, he says. and I don't want to set up on him honestly because they do have feelings. They do have, you know, I understand the rights and everything, and right. just to take conservatorship when he feel in his delusion, when he feels like he has the autonomy, and that's the other thing. Those delusions are so strong that they believe, they think whatever they're thinking, it is real. And so I don't want to set up more hatred or animosity or none of that. 
and maybe that's the thing I need to do. And maybe that's just the parent in me or whatever. Um, you know, that maybe be that, uh, in that part, the enabling part, don't get the conservator, you know, but I don't know. I'm, I'm learning, even though I am, I don't deal with that kind of population, even though I am in the mental health field. That's why I'm having this discussion so that I hope other people in the field that have resources that deal with this population have some ideas, maybe can contact us, uh, contact Sixth Coach and info at sixcoach.life. Give us some information and share, like, what can we actually do um, and stuff. And so um, it's something that um, I know when I did workshops for, for um, families of their young people going to college, because usually the second or third year was when stuff would come up, you know, in terms of family go and get their their son or daughter so right or at the college that you could sign they could say if something happens then i want to have autonomy but i don't mm -hmm. that um if there's anything but i know it was paperwork that you could sign to say if anything happens you know i want to be notified and i want to know because a lot of times they didn't even know because they're yeah. adults so you know until they're wondering well, what's what's going on it, it was right. Um, confidentiality thing, so it was really right. Thank goodness, uh, St. Norbert, that's who it was. St. Norbert College in uh, Wisconsin called me about my son and had me to come in, and, and I stayed at night. They had a hotel and everything that's attached to the college, and I stayed the weekend and was, you know, just to assess to see how he was. It looked like it looked to me at first like depression a little bit, and then it was the other things, you know, when I Right. Got to talk to the psychiatrist. He was like, he was hearing voices and seeing things that other people don't hear and see. Right. So I was like, oh, wow. You know, so, okay, we're going to give him a leave of absence to get help. So <laughs> it's been a roller coaster. I mean, it's just been a roller coaster for all these years. And so, um, yeah. So I'm just thankful that you guys are here today that we can talk about it and maybe bring more awareness maybe something to come out of it um you have a non-profit denise maybe i might <laughs> develop a non-profit maybe we might have to do the work maybe we might have to come up with a holistic plan something because i want to make sure that people understand there's a difference between someone being addicted to drugs and having psychosis as a result right and, and, and there, the, the difference is, is that a person who have mental illness, it is really because of the chemicals and the synopsis and the brains are not firing correctly. There, there is some chemicals that are missing the mark. And that's where the medicine come in to bridge the gap and to give them a little bit more of this or that or decrease this or that. It stabilizes the brain in the way that it makes it function more correctly. And so when a person who have a mental illness uses drugs, they using it to self-medicate so that they won't hear the voices too much or see things too much, but they don't understand that the drugs that they use also have the psychosis effect. And so it's not a win-win situation because the psychotic drug, psychotic drug, will increase it will make you paranoid or anxious see things hear things it will just increase it and so we need to 
make sure that we have people who are involved that care, that understands the brain, that knows how to set up, you know, holistic or uh, some sort of programming to help the two difference. You know, one is a recovery from drugs and one is really a mental health issue. And it's almost like to deal with that first, the, 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 the drug issue before you can even get to the, the mental health piece. So again, I know you were looking for a facility, but again, there's nothing available. Everything's full. Otherwise they're talking about $50,000 a week. You know? Exactly. 50, that, that was another thing. When I called the place, I said, well, you know, just, you know, I'm a single parent, you know, um, just tell me what would it cost to bring my child to your, oh, we are a luxurious place. We're, we cost about $55,000. Well, thank you. <laughs> How am I supposed to get help? Who take my insurance? Well, everybody that take my insurance is full. It's booked. Yeah. You know, you can't get in until July. And if you really need an inpatient, hell, that might be a yeah. year yeah. or so before you can get a bed. Yeah. That is just so wrong. It's just so wrong. So, uh, I hope with now the homelessness problem that they're talking about now that's being put on the platform, you know, being brought to light. I hope we can get on board with what's going on now to say, hey, we do need these facilities. We need the facilities back. Exactly. They've had mental breaks. So that's what a lot of people that are out there, you know, that's what's happening. And then, yes with the drugs so it's you know it's a double-edged sword yeah and i just want to say for the record too because uh dexter may mention the difference between white people and black people well we should know at this day and age this is for the audience that in the last few years we have seen the injustices done to black bodies okay so it shouldn't be no shock that even in the mental health field that we will hear someone talk about some injustices in the mental health field regarding how people of color, especially black people are treated in the mental health field versus those who are, who fit the Western stream, you know, paradigm, you know, white, you know, as we know it. And it's unfortunate that we today to this day still have to deal with race. Race is a constructed ideology. There's no right. such thing as race. And the right. only reason why it exists is because people choose to believe that there is a difference between races. And that's yeah. not true. We are all a part of the human collective. We all breathe and move and have our being in the same energy force. And so we are one. And what they want us to think is that we're different. And right. as a human being, we are not. And everybody deserves the same treatment, healthcare yeah. treatment, uh, just social, anything on a social level, anything on an economic level. We all deserve the same fair chance. And if we are coming from behind, then that means we don't just need to be equal. We need to have what they call, um, it's, uh, it was just on my mind, not equality, but um, 
uh, oh, shoot, why is it shoot? It's slipping my mind. Uh, equity. That's what we need. Give us a boost. Give us some equity. Help us get where we need to be. Because right. for so long, we have been put behind and left out. And if, if, if you don't want to help, then don't stop us when we make up our minds to give our own self equity because we can. Once we get out of that poverty stricken mind and know that we are great and we can do whatever we want to do, as long as we put our minds to it, let us be. Right. Let us be and let us begin to build and not worry about what other people think and know mm -hmm. that we are great and we can bring about change. And that's why I had this show today because I want to help bring about change for the adult children who are yes. suffering from mental yes. health. Okay. And before yes. they get out there in the street, harming others and harming themselves, that's too late. And why would right. we want to be a world that is okay with death? Why are right. we so okay with people dying and other right. people harming other people? Why right. is that we don't want to just do something different to save lives instead of being like, okay, that's just part of life, you know, die. You know, it just seemed like all the systems and medical models, it leans towards, oh, well, you're going to die. There's nothing else we could do. No, I think being a spiritual being and a human body, there is a lot we can do. We just have to tap into it. We got to know we can do it. And so I hope with that in our conversation, we could begin to go down that road and find some solutions, find some answers, you know? I and, appreciate this uh, forum. You know, I, I want to say I appreciate it. It's something that I am passionate about. And I uh, welcome the information that you had to offer um, at this time, I have to step off, okay. uh, but at any point in time, I just say we have to become active in this and passionate about this particular subject. And again, I appreciate each and every one of you guys for coming and, and on and, you know, cause it is a very frustrating situation as a parent, I would you know, and to know that there are some that want to do something about it, at least come up with something. We need more people. We need more programs. We need more facilities. Right. And and in that, we need more education. Right. And, and I'm so, at, and thank everybody for being transparent because I'm going to have to get off as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank Yes, we yeah. have come. Yeah, we are definitely... At the end of this program, if you have to leave, I want to just thank you guys for coming on. I appreciate you ladies, whether or not guys, but ladies and gent for coming on and sharing your story and being vulnerable. I hope people hear us across the nation and want to jump on board and give comments and to help us out in the future. So this will be, uh, it's recorded. It will be posted for future okay. listening and I'll keep you posted on whatever comes up out of it. But you guys make sure you have a wonderful weekend, Memorial Day weekend. 
And yes, uh, in honor of our ancestors, those who gone before okay. us. Thank you. We, oh, we Felicia. You. Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I have one more thing to say that would really help us. If we, as the parents, parents of these adult children with mental issues, if mm -hmm. we can all get conservatorship, mm -hmm. that is a real big help. I well, that's what, uh, that's what De Denise was talking about, checking out conservatorship. But here's, the, here's the thing about that. You know, we don't want, I, I really don't want my son upset with me because I take his, you know, his rights away. But I hope we could do it in a way yeah. that is agreed upon and it won't yeah. be no, um, you know, animosity or re regrets or, you know, it won't yeah. be anything. But if that's part of it and we can't uh, bypass those feelings, I'll do anything to save him. I'll do anything to save his life. I'll do anything that I and my power to make sure that he is taken care of. So if conservatorship Amen. is it, if that's it, and that's the way, and that's the only alternative that we have now to get, yeah. because this revolving door will never end, then uh -huh. and that's the only and that's the only way it can end is by me yeah. taking over conserv conservatorship, then that's that's what would have to happen. Yeah. So you enjoy your day today. Make those people laugh. <laughs> yeah. I got jokes ready. Jokes <laughs> ready to go. Well, I appreciate you joining us today. And um, hey, yeah, like I said, this will be posted later. Make sure you tune in and listen to it and share it. Click like and share and yes. um, leave your comments. I really appreciate everyone for showing up and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Peace Remember, out. Remember, you guys, mental health is real. It is real. Most definitely. Very, 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 very real. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Amen. Amen. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye, y'all.